Hello and welcome to the Lancet Psychiatry Podcast. I'm Niall Boyce, the editor of the Lancet Psychiatry. Today I'm at Waterloo. You might be able to hear sounds of a building site in the background, which is appropriate because I'm going to be talking about occupational health. I'm here with Dr. Ira Madan, who is a consultant occupational health physician at Guy's and St. Thomas's Hospitals in London. Hello, uh, Ira. Hello. And you have another job as well. I mean, it's very interesting the job you have, but you also have another extremely interesting job. I do, yes. Well, it's actually part of this job. So I'm on contract from Guy's and St Thomas's to, um, to be the consultant occupational physician at the Houses of Parliament across the river, which I've done now for some 18 years. And yes, it's incredibly interesting. So you cover a very broad remit in that. And um, today we're specifically talking about mental health. Have you found that uh, mental health has been increasingly a large part of occupational health in the 18 years you've been in the Houses of Parliament? Absolutely, yeah, and I think that's across across the board in the NHS and in the uh, and at the Houses of Par- Parliament. And I think all my occupational physician colleagues across the country would say the same thing. So when I first started in in occupational medicine, some 25 years ago. Most of the uh, people that we would see would have musculoskeletal problems, particularly back pain. That was the the major uh, complaint that we saw, and that's gradually been replaced by mental health complaints. And this is interesting because when we talk about mental health at work, we're, we're kind of talking about two things. We're talking about uh, the mental health support which work can provide in terms of income, in terms of social networks, in terms of simply the sort of structure to the day into someone's life. But the thing which we've all become more aware of uh, in the last few years, and possibly relating to that, that increasing number uh, of consultations about mental health which you're talking about, is uh, stress in the workplace and the relationship between the workplace and, and poor mental health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's well known that um, work can be good for your health for the reasons that you've indicated um, but also it can be um, have an adverse effect on your mental health particularly in those jobs where the job control is very low and the demands are high or the effort is, is very high and the rewards are low and those are the two models that we talk about the, the um, effort reward and, and, and job control and demand um, but also the, the, the social requirement um, at work has changed so we now depend more upon people's social skills and cognitive skills at work than, than we might have done previously. And when you talk about the, the effort reward, that's not just money, is it? Oh, no, absolutely. No, that's the... In fact, money's probably the... For, for some people, that's uh, less of a concern than actually the, the effort that you put into your work on a day-to-day basis and perhaps not be thanked for it or not seem to get any reward at all from the, the company apart from the... The, um, the fiscal <laughs> incentives to work, um, but for, for a lot of people it's that there's small thank yous or reward in terms of, of, of what they've been doing and an acknowledgement of the work that they've put in that's very important for them. And unfortunately, um, particularly the, the effort award side, um, it's the people of the lower socioeconomic classes who feel that they get little reward apart from the, from the money side of things, um, that, um, compared to the effort that they put in, it's quite often not acknowledged. 
And so the social aspect is important and uh, it's to do with recognition and also maybe uh, the, the job role. I know that we're in a time of really huge change in the workplace, that businesses which have been established in some cases for, for, for decades, sometimes longer, are undergoing a huge amount of change. And uh, maybe someone's professional role, their role within the particular network of the office of their workplace is changing as well. And is that something which causes people difficulties? Change always causes people difficulties, I think is this the answer. It's uh, some people more than others, or it depends whether people of that type of personality that they embrace change or they don't, but on the, on the whole people don't like change and it, it's just got to be managed correctly and quite often it isn't. So I've seen several instances of when changes are, are forced through with little consultation with the workforce and I think to do it successfully the workforce have to be involved and they have to feel some ownership so a detailed consultation with the workforce and they feel that they're listened to is this is the appropriate way to, to manage change. It's easier said than done. Um, often there are other forces that are in play that force change to happen very quickly, particularly um, economic. the economic climate might change, might cause changes very abruptly. And that feeling that you have on your first day of work where you don't know where anything is or who yeah. anyone is yes. or even what you're supposed to be doing, you know, that, that's okay for the first day and the first week, but beyond that, I, I think that 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 sort of role uncertainty is also maybe associated with, with mental health issues in the workplace. Absolutely, absolutely. Role identity is, is very important for, for securing your mental health. And, and the rise of uh, smartphones and tablets, work, um, now coming home. <laughs> oh, that's good and bad, isn't it? It gives, gives some people flexibility to, to work at home, which is lovely, and to work off-site, which can be very beneficial. As I said before, that that's usually the people in the in the um, professional and managerial roles who, who can benefit from that, so they have more control over their work, um, which is fantastic. But on the the flip side, as you say, it's that constant accessibility, and, and certainly at that the House of Parliament is one of the key things I I keep reinforcing to members of Parliament is to have that day when you don't do any work, and that includes not looking at smartphones in any way, any form, text, email, whatever, just to put, put that down. It's one clear day a week, and, and many of them struggle with that. In terms of using the workplace to, to assist with, with people's mental health, this is really a field which psychiatry and psychology have, have come to relatively recently. Uh, all of the focus really for uh, the hundred years before this has been in terms of, of the family. Uh, and now we're yes. thinking more in terms of, of the workplace. And you're one of the authors on a trial which was published in the Lancet Psychiatry, which was called Workplace Mental Health Training for Managers and its Effect on Sick Leave and Employees. This is a cluster randomised control trial. This was done in Australia on the Fire and Rescue Service. It was. We did try to get funding in the in the UK, but it wasn't possible. And uh... Uh, Professor Harvey, who's uh, one of the uh, the authors, he um, he moved to Australia and uh, quite rightly took the trial with him. And the focus was on the managers. Absolutely, managers are key. Um, the key to any individual's mental health at work got to be their leader. So those those are their managers. Um, supportive and understanding manager is central to an individual who has mental health problems remaining at being able to remain at work if they feel that they're supported by their manager and and that they are not going to be stigmatized in the workplace. They are more likely 
to remain at work and if they go off sick, having contact with their manager in observational studies has been shown to, to, to improve return to work. And, and this is something though where I imagine managers listening to this are going to be saying, hold on, I don't just have to look at the productivity of my team, am I expected to be their psychiatrist as well? Is this a very time-consuming intervention? Not at all, and they're not expected to be a psychiatrist, and that's one thing I'd, I'd emphasise. Um, they don't even need to know the details of the individual's um, psychiatric details or mental health illness. All they need to know is that they, they need to be there for them, and it's very, very straightforward. This is a practical tool. Um, they just need to make contact to show that they can support the individual. They can ask if there's anything that they as the line manager can do to support them um, getting back to work or if they need access to any other treatment that, to make sure that they've got that and they can um, signpost them to various organisations. It really is just a, as you would with a, a physical health problem, um, just making sure that the individual is supported. So this is what, a four hour training session? Not a very long training session. Absolutely. And. You had some promising results from the trial. The confidence of managers improved and, and um, also they were able to, they felt able to contact the, the employees, but, but more importantly, we reduced the time that people had off sick, um, particularly for those with um, work-related mental health problems. And the intervention is based around respect, which is both concept and an acronym. And I noticed that the P in it stands for practical help, not psychotherapy. We haven't yet received any angry letters from psychotherapists about this trial. But, but I think what you're guessing at there, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that, that it's about really taking a very functional approach to things, to, to saying to the employee, you know, as you say, signposting them uh, to, the, to the right place to help them, signposting them to, to the right schemes, really increasing your knowledge of um, what resources you have to be able to help people who, who are working in your environment. Absolutely, it is that. And there's also something about the fact that the manager is able to contact the employee and the employee interprets that as having a supportive and understanding manager um, and that the manager may be able to, they're the only people really who are able to change the content of that person's job. They might be able to make adjustments, um, short term or long term, for that person's job before they return to work. So it, it, it is something about that, that, that contact and feeling cared for. It goes back to the old fashioned Hawthorne effect, which is when you look at, when you take an interest in somebody, their work productivity will go up. So it is very basic. It's hard for a manager if they're scared about phoning somebody up with a mental health problem. The commonest thing that I hear from managers is we might make them worse. We don't want to feel like we're harassing them. We don't want to talk about return to work. What happens if they uh, express um, mental health problems at the end of the phone? We don't know how to deal with that. And in fact, that's usually not the case. So, so there's a fear barrier to get through. Absolutely. You, know, you can understand that from a manager's point of view, particularly somebody who's a layperson. One have had no experience of mental health disorders and family or friends, and they've, uh, or they may have had, and they're, they're worried about it because it's a different relationship between a, a line manager and their employee, their direct report. They're scared, and so some of this is just giving them a little bit of knowledge giving them the confidence to make the phone call and it's simple things like finding a quiet room, making sure that you have the space and the time to, to, 
to um, make that phone call and some examples of how, how it might be done and words that you might use. One thing which I hear about mental health at work, well I hear a lot of positives uh, uh, talk about it, but there's also some concern that what this is doing is putting the onus on the employees to become resilient enough to, to cope with quite toxic working environments. Is that a potential danger of the drive towards uh, mental health at work? I think some of it is, yeah. I do think we need to, to take a step back. I think things like resilience training, uh, mindfulness are not evidence-based in, in terms of decreasing mental health problems in the workplace, particularly those that are work-related. And I think for that you need to look at the workplace. You can't be just looking at, at trying to improve individual resilience. You've got to, it's got to be top down. So starting with the organisational level, how do you have the senior person in the organisation and the board or board level people interested in improving mental health in their workplace? And then it goes down to downs from there. So then managers and then and then with individuals. Obviously individuals have a part to play. But to my mind it's definitely it's an organisational issue. So, as, as with many aspects of mental health, it's not just what's going on in, in, in your head, it's also the way that the whole system works. And one of the things which really interests me about your work is your work with the Houses of Parliament and the way perhaps that changes in the dynamics there over the past 18 years have made MPs in particular more willing to talk about mental health issues. Yeah, it's been an absolutely fascinating journey from when I started 18 years ago when nobody talked about mental health. It was, nobody really talked about health, actually even physical health problems um, were not discussed amongst um, MPs. They were worried about things getting into the press. They were worried those in safe seats were worried that they were in, in dead man's shoes. It was considered a weakness to talk about health. There was a sentinel debate where several members from both sides of the house disclosed their mental health disorders and, and that led to destigmatisation I think is probably the best word amongst other members and the members who disclosed their mental health also discussed how they sought support and treatment and how that had a very positive effect on their life and on, on their work. And following that, Mr Speaker was very keen for mental health amongst members and staff of Parliament to be put right at the top of the agenda. This is the way it often is, which is the people are very reluctant to talk about these issues at first, but when you get the, the critical mass, uh, people can't stop talking about it and uh, it becomes a, a very sort of lively uh, topic of debate and, and of discussion. And this was accompanied by a, a, an actual change in, in the law, as I understand, in terms of mental health law. Absolutely, that's right. So the Mental Health Act used to contain a section, section 141, where if a member um, was sectioned under the Mental Health Act and, and they uh, didn't attend the house for six months or they were under section for six months, their seat became vacant. And that rarely happened. I don't think it had ever been recorded that somebody had had to, to, to leave the house on those grounds, but it was um, symbolic uh, of, of the stigma of, of mental health, and, and people weren't concerned about it being there, so they, they got removed, which was fantastic. But a good step forward. Excellent. Hopefully there's many, many steps forward to come. But uh, for people listening to this podcast now, maybe managers uh, who are saying, well, you know, what about mental health at work? If I'm concerned about one of my employees, 
uh, one of my, my team, how can I figure out how to begin to deal with this? What resources are there online? Where can I look? So there are several resources on, online. I'm, uh, the two that I, I'm most familiar with are those, uh, the one that's available from ACAS, which is online, and also a recently published online resource from Viewper. They're both excellent, um, and, and they can look at those and, and read those, and they, again, they give them suggestions of how to, how to make that phone call, how to support the employee, um, and, and adjustments that they might consider making. And so if we look ahead uh, another 18 years from now, maybe, or maybe a shorter period of time, let's say five years, what changes would you like to see in the way that workplaces deal with mental health issues? I'd like, definitely like to see in five years. So I think there's a, f a few things. Um, key on my list, I think, is, is disclosure by individuals. So not waiting until they go off sick before they, they tell their manager there's a problem. Um, and it's a big step, and I understand that. It's very difficult for people with ongoing mental health problems to disclose that to their manager. But that would, I think if they were able to do that and they receive support from their manager, I think that would be a huge step forward in retaining people in, in the workplace, people with mental health disorders. Um, the other thing I'd, I'd really like to see is some people with the major mental health disorders, I mean, particularly people with bipolar disorder and, and um, perhaps even schizophrenia to be able to remain in the workplace or support um, or even get jobs in the workplace to try and just destigmatise that a bit. And a lot of that is some, particularly those people with major mental health disorders, there's quite a bit of internal stigmatisation so that those individuals feel, well if I apply for a job I won't get it because people will be aware that I have a mental health problem. So that'll be, there's some gaps in my career or my job history. Um, and I think we've done that to a certain extent with people with disabilities, physical disabilities, and I, I'd love to see that with mental health disorders. So that's, I think, a, a great ambition. It is, it is a very ambitious vision yes, which you have, is. so um, <laughs> better get to work. Absolutely, yes. But for I now, <laughs> thank, you, thank you very much for uh, joining the Lancet Psychiatry podcast today, Dr. Madan, and uh, thank you, the listener, for downloading it, and I hope that you'll join us again next time. Goodbye.